Welcome to EdMed Talks. I'm Dr. Adam DeVico, an educator. And I'm Dr. Jacqueline DeVico, a pediatrician. And welcome to our amazing episode today on teaching your child how to read. And while Jacqueline and I certainly have some experience in this, we thought it would be even better to bring in a special guest today who just has done an amazing job uh, on showing parents and educators and, and everyone just how you can teach reading. So I'd like to welcome Miss Naomi O'Brien to the show. Hey, Naomi, how are you? Hi, I'm so good. Happy to be here and happy to share. Thank you so much. So do you mind, uh, for those who may not be familiar with you, mind just sharing a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Okay. So I am Naomi O'Brien. I'm currently living in Los Angeles, California. I've been an educator for over 11 years, primarily in kindergarten through second grade. And I'm also a mom of two. Awesome. And, you know, we, we've kind of crossed paths several times over the educator sector. Uh, and, you know, I just want to tell everyone the the social media that Naomi puts out there is so impactful and amazing because it's literally showing you how to do these things to help your child. So do you mind just sharing for those who are parents, not educators by trade, what might be an easy, active way to engage your young child, say, you know, three, four, even down to two, two, three, four, five years old. How do you engage yourself in your child's learning to read? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think something that parents always come to me for with as well. And I think it's just making everything that they're interested in a learning opportunity. Like you don't have to sit them down at a desk and just drill letter sounds into them. Even just playing with toys, you know, talking about the sounds that you hear at the beginning of those things or coming up with a word that rhymes with it. Like you can incorporate literacy skills into the stuff that they're already doing. Um, like I was at home with my son when he was two and I would say, go get your sh sh shoes or go get that ball and, you know, see if you could hear those sounds. So you can still use different skills like segmenting sounds and blending sounds and beginning sounds um, while you're reading or playing at the park or even at the grocery store, just calling out the things that you're seeing to be building literacy skills. So I'm going to throw out a word that I know you're going to know. But I'm guessing Jacqueline's not going to know, but I want you, if you don't mind, just explaining what it is and why we as educators, me and you, are using it more. And that's the science of reading, because you just described some of those foundational blocks. But what is the science? Are you familiar with it, Jack? Am I familiar with the science of reading? No, I'm not. Okay. But I'm to hear more about it. All right. So, yes. okay. So, the, the science, science of reading, reading, I feel like people they hear the term and they think it's this brand new thing that they just have to learn, like all these new tricks and skills for the classroom. And it's actually like this decades old body of research that comes from multiple sources and multiple studies that just shows here is the correct way to teach students how to read. And you just, you know how it is in the education system between like curriculum and, you know, TPT, even Pinterest, there's just so many different ways that people think we can approach reading. And while there are many ways that we see, there's only a few ways that are actually right and that are backed by decades worth of research. So having that structured literacy approach versus, you know, a whole brain or balanced literacy approach, um, really making sure you're focusing on phonics and phonemic awareness, first and foremost for me, because if they, yeah, you need the vocabulary and the comprehension, but if they can't even read the words on the page, then being able to comprehend something you can't read is, you know, not really going to be working for you. But um, comprehension, vocabulary, fluency, phonics, phonemic awareness, all of that 
is what the science of reading is telling us we need to be doing. We need to be teaching our lessons systematically, meaning that you are following an order, following a scope and a sequence, moving from simplest to more complex, um, you know, graphemes and things like that so that your students can slowly learn and build over time, making sure that you are spiral reviewing, making sure it's cumulative, making sure that you're having assessments um, so that you can see where they are and where they need to go. And that sounds like a lot, but really when you get down to like, what does this look like on a day-to-day -day basis? It's really not too bad if you just come up with a scope and sequence, like what letters and letter sounds am I gonna be teaching? You know, what phonemic awareness school skills am I gonna be working on? And there's so many great programs like Hegarty is a one off the top of my head that it just has it all laid out for you, like easy to follow. You could even just Google activities and you know if you're a parent listening, like what is phonemic awareness? What is phonological awareness? And you'll find that it's just rhyming or it's just asking your child, what's the beginning sound? What's the middle sound? And I always try to encourage parents um, just to trust the process. Um, I was, my first son is gifted. So he kind of taught himself how to read. So when people saw him, they were like, oh, well, of course he can read. You taught him how to do that. And I was like, I really did it. But with my second son, I kind of wanted to see if I could do it. Um, and they're just not, you know, they don't have the same brain. But even for Jonah, it took him about a year of me working with him before he was really able to start listening and hearing those beginning sounds and ending sounds and middle sounds um, because his brain was still growing and developing the ability to do that. Like it's something you have to teach. So I'll say something as a pediatrician, a lot of what you're saying is something that we talk about, I would say at Well Child Checks, I mean, even from the beginning, we were constantly telling parents to just talk to their children and describe their day. Um, can you give some parents some advice on how to do that, to build the phonemic awareness, how to even start with, you know, two-month-old, six-month-old, as you're kind of moving up towards then the two- and three-year-olds? Yeah, for sure. I think definitely just setting aside a few minutes a day, because honestly, when they get to the school age, you only need about 20 hours during the school year. So it's not, it's like a couple of minutes a day that you would just set aside and intentionally say, I'm going to be working on rhyming. So just asking them, or even at the beginning, because if they're two and three, like producing a rhyme is really hard, even though we have nursery rhymes and it seems like it's so easy and so basic, like producing a rhyme is very tricky. So you modeling the rhymes, I'm just saying like cat, hat, they both have at, do you hear that rhyming part? And they're not going to hear it for a while. My son didn't hear it for a year. Um, but just doing things like that or saying like ball and repeating the beginning sound, because then eventually they'll start modeling that. Or even when you are talking sound words out yourself or make it a game. I'm always about gamifying things. Like, can you find your sh ooh? Like, can you think of what I'm saying? Or even if you're playing I spy, like I'm looking for something or I spy something and it starts with a t you know, and see if they can find something that starts with that sound. And, you know, you can eventually start to tell them the answers, but they'll start to figure it out on their own and put it together. There's this really fascinating video on YouTube. It's by um, Stanislas Dahan, and he's this French like neurophysicist or psychologist. And he has these scans of the brain and it, they have this scan of what exactly flashes through the brain when your eyes see a word when you can read all of the areas that light up versus like the areas that don't light up when you can't read. Like it's just, you might as well just be looking at a picture of a dog. Um, and there's this area of the brain that actually grows and develops when you work on phonological awareness skills. 
Um, and so it's like, it's so important to work on those because it's building the area that is responsible for students hearing a sound or hearing a series of sounds and being able to translate that into a word. I always see videos um, of like parents or teachers even saying the sounds in a word and then the student just says something off the wall, right? Like you're saying at, and the kid says like bumblebee. And yep. you're like, oh my goodness, but they really can't hear it. They you truly saying? cannot hear <laughs> what you're saying. Like it's an acquired skill that builds over time. So when you understand that all of that is going on in the brain and you understand how important it is, like the earlier, the better. Um, David Kilpatrick actually recommends, I think, starting phonological awareness at three years old. Um, and I started with my son when he was two and he didn't pick it up until he was three, but it's because we started at two. So it's definitely just so, so, so important. Always make it a game. I think we never want to really be sitting them down and making it this drilled thing, like, you know, say the sound, what is this? But just make it fun, incorporate, you know, their toys into it. Like you can build blocks while you're saying sounds, like make it a song, anything that just, you know, pertains to their interests is key. That's really great advice. And you can see the science mix in there. All right, doctor. And, <laughs> and so there is a lot of science in this, but you know, I, what, something I just really want to highlight that you said was just the time. It's not hours and hours worth of stuff. It's, it's five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day. I mean, you could do that while you're, like you said, playing while you're eating dinner. You know, this, this doesn't need to be an extra thing. Cause I know that's always kind of something that the parents, the forefront of parents' minds is, Oh, when, when do I do it? When do I have time? But you know, I'm pretty sure people can find those five minutes a day. Now, I want to go back. You mentioned the differences between your two children and Jacqueline and I are the same. We have two very different children and their learning uh, styles and just progression as well. For those parents listening right now who may have that same issue, it's like I have one child that like taught themselves to read, other one maybe a little bit slower. How do you avoid the comparisons? Because I know that's something that you know, as us parents, like, and maybe you've run into this as well. You're always comparing kids and they're different. Right. You do about that. Yeah. I think you just continue to remind yourself that every child is different. I think having my time in the classroom and even just seeing my students where you will have that couple of students that really is things start to click with them early on in the school year. And then the next group of students, they don't get that same concept until December. And then that next group of students, it's near the end of the year. And you're like, okay, come on, buddies. And just understanding that everyone is different. They're going to grow at different rates. I mean, there is a point in time when you definitely should be concerned and not just say, oh, they'll, they'll get it next year or they'll get it in two years. You don't right. want to be putting it off right. by years. Um, but just understanding that everyone is different and even everyone has different strengths. You know, like maybe this person isn't going to be your best reader, but they're really great at math or they're really kind and compassionate or they're a great athlete or they're very artistic. So just understanding that different kids have different strengths and that's okay. Um, I would always tell my husband because when we first had my first one, that's all he knew. Like Noah's reading at two, he's writing mm -hmm. books. And I was like, this is not what typical <laughs> three-year-olds are doing. <laughs> Don't like, get used so to I, this. Yeah. Noah like published his first book when he was four, he wrote the whole thing by himself, illustrated it. It's called the mean mm -hmm. car and the nice train. Like spelling was almost perfect. And my youngest one is four now. And I'm like, okay, so look at Jonah. Could you imagine Jonah publishing a book on his own right now? <laughs> and I was like, they're just different. And it's not that Jonah isn't smart and bright. He's great. They're just two very different kids and that's okay. So 
One thing I get a lot of parent questions about is we, and a lot of pediatricians offices do this, um, we have a program called Reach Out and Read, which that is science-based as well, um, more in the medical field. But we start handing out, and ideally they are kind of targeted books based on age, um, from one month all the way through five years old. So at one month, the book ideally should have a lot of, you know, big black kind of black and white simple shapes and sharp contrast or shiny objects. Um, coming up to the two-month-old book has a lot of smiling faces because that's developmentally what babies like to look at and they're doing that receptive smile. Four months has a lot of touch and feel. Um, and a lot of parents, we hand these books out and we tell them, you know, go home and read to their children. And these go, you know, all the way through up age five. Can you give some advice on how parents are supposed to read to their child? Like how to do it? I call it the correct way to make it fun, but also help them learn. Yeah, I think it's always important to think about the fact that when you are reading with your students or your children or to them, that you're modeling how to be a reader. So making it this really relaxed and comfortable and enjoyable time, like not where you're stressed and you're rushed and you're just like, okay, come on, let's just like do this to do it, but that you're really showing them like how to hold the book and how to actually read the book. You should be enjoying it as well and asking questions and thinking out loud and saying what you see um, as the word, as the book, you know, like start to get words or sentences, like modeling, like pointing from left to right. Um, and it just how to hold the book, how to turn pages, how to care for them and things like that. And just kind of saying the stuff um, and showing with your facial expressions that you're enjoying these books, that you can get that you can get something out of books. Cause that's the thing, like books can open up so many different worlds to us to show them that it's not just that we're looking at this thing just because it's that it's, we're getting meaning out of it. We're getting something out of it. It can be an enjoyable thing. Yeah. You're really, you're building a reading culture in your household for your family and for the kids. So I want to uh, switch up to something that everyone listening is going to have their opinion on and their own experience with, but I want to get your take. It's technology. So our kids are exposed to technology day one, minute one, right? All the time, uh, whether they just see it and then learn how to use it. How do you see technology enhancing? And I'll even give you, open up the door for prohibiting the, the, the process of learning to read because it could probably do both. What's your take on it? I am such a fan of technology. Um, I do see its downsides where, you know, the more hands-on stuff is going to help them, you know, develop their fine motor skills. But I'm all about making learning fun and interactive. And it's what kids are really into nowadays. Like, it's just like how society has shifted. So I still see the value of just manipulatives and paper and pencil and like tactile things. But if I can bring up a phonics game, like there's starfall.com or Khan Academy Kids is great removing letters and shapes around the screen. Um, I'm such a fan of that as well. Like I see the benefits. I understand the negative parts, but I feel like you, you just do stuff. You, you don't overdo it. Like you're not going to like throw your, your child on the TV for like six hours a day, but I think there's a balance to it um, where it's beneficial. And I definitely use it with my own kids. I use it in the classroom, um, a fan for sure. Awesome. Yeah. And Again, there's going to be a lot of different ways that technology is going to influence our kids throughout their life. But I think teaching good habits, responsible use at a young age, and um, I know we're talking about 
reading today, but there's all, there's a literacy component of technology too, that we can teach our kids. Uh, there's a lot of doors that can open up. Yeah. So looking ahead, what do you see as kind of future trends in reading education? Are there kind of merging methods or approaches that you've seen that kind of show some promise? Yeah. Like where are we heading? There, I do see us heading in a better direction, kind of. <laughs> so I feel like the science of reading has finally, you know, gotten into this being this really popular way of doing things. But I also seeing it being done wrong or being talked about in a way that mm-hmm. isn't actually factual. So what I see happening is, you know, the data in a few years not really being really different. And then people saying, see, that was just another trend that didn't work out. What's the next new thing? And then it going away. And I don't want for that to happen. So I hope that the people that are doing it right um, can start to really just shed light on it and more people can get trained properly because when done the right way, the results are just incredible and all kids deserve to be able to have proper instruction. Um, It makes me really sad when I think about the amount of students that didn't learn how to read properly because of the instruction or the curriculum, or it was just the wrong method. And, you know, they were made to feel like I'm just not working hard enough or their parents are like, what are we doing? Like, what, what more can we do? And it was not really them. It was a mix of the instruction and maybe other things going on. So um, I really hope that it's here to stay and that it's just worked on and perfected. So where people can start to get the right training for it, um, that would be really, really great because then I think we'd be moving in a much better direction. Isn't that the the ultimate Groundhog's Day effect of education, right? Try something for a few years, say, oh, that didn't work and go on to the next thing. So I'm with you. I, I hope we can sustain and find it a, a way to continue this progress that we are making slowly, but surely there. So as we wrap up here, I want to kind of give you the, the final word here for your your greatest single tip like if if you were to have that one elevator pitch for a parent who's like why do i need to help my kid learn to read i know it's a bad question but like (laughs) why why should i help what is the ultimate elevator pitch for them okay so i don't know if this sounds negative but you should be working with your child at home because you don't know what they're going to get at school um you don't know what curriculum they're using you don't know what training has been given. And it's not that, you know, educators are out here purposefully teaching students the wrong way. It's the training. It's what they were or weren't taught in colleges. It's, it's the curriculum they're forced to use. Like, for example, my last district, we had to use a curriculum that I know doesn't follow the science of reading. So I never used it because I know that I know better, but other teachers that are new or that it's all they know, they're still using this curriculum. So you should definitely educate yourself as much as possible so you can recognize the signs and then course correct for your own child's sake, especially the earlier, the better. If they could even go into school and they already have certain skills, they don't even pick up bad habits in the first place, um, even better. So just to really make sure that they're getting the best instruction and so that you can advocate for them um, as well. I think it's just really important for you to kind of just take the reins and try to lead the way before it may or may not happen a certain way at school. Take ownership. It's your kid. Take ownership. I love it. I love it. Well, you are amazing. Uh, I really love uh, seeing what you what you put out there on social media and, and talking to you is just wonderful. Thank you so much uh, for yes, being with us today. Me. Love sharing. Yes, and 
Yes. And as we always finish up, Jacqueline, go ahead. I always love to remind our parents that there is no such thing as the perfect parent, but you can be the perfect parent for your child. <laughs>